Welcome everybody. Thank you all for being here. Uh, we're here now for the final class of the Talmud series, the first batch of uh, classes we've had with Hakam Faur, uh, Abe Faur, with regards to Masachet Sanhedrin. We're very much excited for the next batch, Rav. Um, I shall be in touch so we can set that up. Um, before we begin, just a huge thank you for the series because it has been very helpful. And um, I've, I'm able to see the numbers of people who watch the recordings, let alone people who just watch it live. And it's, uh, it's, it brings me much satisfaction to see such an in-depth class get so many, such an analytical and in-depth class get so many views, um, uh, you know, when it comes to recordings, because obviously people want to sit there and analyze it in their own time. And I think it's, 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 it's credit to the, the way you presented Talmud to us. And as I said, we're very much looking forward to continuing that with you in the next series. So, um, thank you very much for being here. Sure, with pleasure. Um, so, um, I actually um, have uh, Omicron, so my voice is a little hoarse. You should be able to hear me. Um, thank you. So, the, yeah, the bad news is that I have Omicron. The good news is that apparently it's not, um, it's not all it's hyped up to be. Um, when I was young growing up, I, I very quickly realized that when they're predicting a huge, huge snowstorm and they try to get you glued to the TV and any second now it's going to be this incredible blizzard and the world is soon going to end. So as I got a little older, I understood that they're doing that because <clears throat> they want you to be <clears throat> glued to the TV. Um, so uh, I'm happy to say that, at least in my case, minus the sore throat, I'm doing quite well, Baruch Hashem. Um, and I hope that everybody else is doing well. Um, uh, please tell me if there's a problem with the internet connection. If there is, I would I I have an alternative internet connection. So uh, let me know about that. Um, and I'm going to share a screen with you. So hold on, just one moment. Okay, let me just get this. All right, um, where's the screen? All right. Yeah. So so we are dealing today with the sugya. Um, and the first two words in the sugya is Shelosha Menalan. Shelosha Menalan, this is the third sugya in Masachet Sanhedrin. And frankly, the question is a little confusing. I'll, I'll share the screen soon. But the question is a little confusing. I say that because, well, the question means Shelosha Menalan. The Mishnah says, Dinem Amonot Bishlosha. So Dinem Amonot Bishlosha means that... Um, the uh, number of judges um, that you need in order to adjudicate uh, financial disputes is three judges. And, and hence the question, from where in the Torah do we learn the law of three judges? That's the question. That seems like a you know, fairly straightforward question, but you may recall that um, in one Penny. of the... Yes? Is somebody talking to me? I'm sorry. I, I think that was just, just... Uh, I think it was just a muting error. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry about that. Okay. So, um, right. So you may recall that in one of the previous sugyot we've established, and this was Rav Aha Bere Ika established, that Oraita had name kasher. We've established the principle that actually as a matter of the Oraita law, as a matter of, of biblical law, one Dayan is sufficient, right? It's right there in the Gemara in um, 
you know, Dafkimel Amud Aleph on the top of the page there, right? says that nobody argues that point. It's not that point is not in dispute. And he brings a pasuk. The pasuk says besedek tishpot amitecha, right? And that's in singular form. So the fact that the Torah allows um, the adjudication with one dayan is right there. And um, I want to read to you what Harambam says. Um, in Ilchot uh, Sanhedrin, Perek Bet, Halachayot Daled, he says, Ehad Rabbim, a one who has the uh, the sufficient expertise and is known publicly as having this um, the expertise to adjudicate matters, or um, alternatively, perhaps he's not known publicly as having the expertise, but he's uh, appointed by the Betin. He is allowed to adjudicate um, disputes alone. Um, so what do we see here? Uh, that as a matter of um, as a matter of biblical law, you don't need three. You need one dayan, right? Um, just continuing in the in the in the Harambam, even though it is permissible for one person to adjudicate such matters. Nevertheless, Al-Khamim um, would uh, suggest that one should not adjudicate uh, disputes alone. So, therefore, my question is, what is the meaning of the Gemara, which says, Well, they, they, I think the answer should be, um, no, had one dayan is enough. And the Rabbanan, you need three Daya names. So why do I need Shalosh Amen Alan? Is, 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 the, is the question clear? Right? What, what, I mean, it's like, you know, the Torah is very clear. It's one Dayan. It's like, how do I know from the Torah that I need three Daya names? So that, that's the issue. I want to read to you, because this is actually one of the areas that there appears to be, at times, uh, some confusion about. What is the meaning of the oraita, right? So usually, you know, I ask, what, what is the oraita? Something that, that is um, written in the Torah, written in the Torah Shabikhtav, in one of the five books of Moses, that's the oraita. And anything that comes after the five books of Moses, that's um, Dera Banan. Um, so let's think about that for a second. So how do I establish whether... A particular law is the oraita or the rabbanan. Well, I look at one of I look at one of the five books of Moses. I look at the Pumash, and I see it's either there or it's not there, right? And this is kind of the standard belief um, among learned individuals. And that's not the approach of Hanambam. That's not the approach of the Yosef and Megas. That's not the approach of the Geonim. That's not the approach of um, that's not the approach of Hachme Andalus. And what I'm going to tell you now is fundamental, not just to understanding the approach of Harambam, Pachmei Andalus, the Geonim, etc., but it's fundamental to understanding Gemara, because the truth is, if you don't have this particular, I quote, I call it, uh, with humility, I call it the approach, but if you don't have this approach, um, you just can't understand the Gemara. So let me explain to you, give you the um, the 
highlights because this is really a matter on which I need to give a separate class or series of classes, but here are the highlights. De oraita does not mean that which appears in the Torah Shabikhtav. De oraita refers to those laws which we received from Moshe Rabbeinu, those laws which Moshe Rabbeinu received in Har Sinai or Oel Mo'ed, and which Moshe Rabbeinu taught us in Oel Mo'ed, those laws and only those laws are the Oraita. Anambam refers to those laws as Kabbalah le Moshe Misinai. When you see Kabbalah le Moshe Misinai, not Halacha le Moshe Misinai, when you see those words, that means that this is a law that is the oraita, which Moshe Rabbeinu received from the Almighty and transmitted to the Jewish people. Okay, so now we know what the oraita means. So it comes out that you can have a pasuk in the Torah, a particular law in a pasuk de or in the, of the Torah, and I have a Kabbalah Moshe Sinai. And the Kabbalah Moshe Sinai is the Oraita. How do I know whether something is the Oraita or not? That's the question. And it's an important question. So the answer naturally would be again, well, look at the Pasuk in the Torah. You either find it in the Torah, the Chumash, or you don't find it in the Chumash. But that's incorrect. Let me read to you. Now I'm going to share the screen. I'm going to read to you what Haram Bam says. And I want to read it carefully with you. Because the ultimate authority through which we determine whether something is the Oraita, meaning Kabbalah Moshe Sinai, or is not the Oraita, is not whether you find the Pasuk in the Torah. It's whether the Hachamim have established, um, based upon their traditions, based upon the Kabbalah, that this is the Oraita or not. Meaning it is the court, the supreme court of the Jewish people that has the ultimate, that, that is the ultimate authority to establish that a particular law is there. And it's not that they establish it, but rather they are the recipients of that tradition. And since they are the formal recipients of that tradition, they also have the authority to transmit that tradition onwards to us. So now I'm going to share my screen and I'm going to read to you what Harambam says, if I could just find it among the 700 different screens. Here it is. I think I've got the right one. <clears throat> okay. We are now reading Al-Khot Mamrim, Perek Aleph. I'm going to read it to you, and please uh, follow along. I assume that you can see the screen, because I see a green... Well, hold on. There it is. All right. I'm going to try to make it a little bigger. Bet Din HaGadol Shebirusha'im, which is the Supreme Court of the Jewish people. Hem Ikar Torah This is the foundation of all oral tradition. Now, now notice, usually people say Torah Shebe'al Peh is the Rabbanan. Torah Shebe'al is the Oraita. Incorrect. Torah Shebe'al Peh does not mean those laws which are the Rabbanan, right? Torah Shebe'al Peh rather refers to the traditions that we received from Moshe Rabbeinu, right? And this is the foundation of all law. And from the Supreme Court of the Jewish people, which received the Torah Shabbat, the oral traditions of the Jewish people, they therefore are the ultimate authorities on all matters legal. 
ועליהם הטיחה התורה שנאמר <coughs> על פי התורה אשר יורוך ועל המשפט אשר ימלאו לך תעשה. Right? So to, um, to accept the authority of the Sanhedrin itself is a, is a um, explicit in the Torah because the Torah says al pi Torah shed yorucha. So it's explicit in the Torah that the authority, the legal authority to transmit the law lies in the Supreme Court. This is a, this is a, um, a positive commandment. You notice that all actions related to law, whether it's the Oraita, whether it's the Rabbanan, what is the basis for authority? The basis for authority always lies with the Sanhedrin, right? Let me, uh, and here's an important point. It doesn't matter whether we're referring to things that we, we received from tradition, or as I said before, which is the Torah meaning the authority of the Sanhedrin is absolute in terms of receiving and transmitting those laws from Moshe. They are also the authority with respect to laws that are derabanan. So you see now we're getting in laws that are derabanan, things that they established on their own are derabanan. It could be through the yagmidot, right? It could be that they established it not as a matter of derasha, but perhaps they established it as just a matter of So you see that the authority of the Sanhedrin is absolute. And now I'm going to unshare the screen because this is what I wanted to bring to your attention. Now, so let's now get back to the law of the Dayanim. The law of the Dayanim, as we've established previously, as a matter of Deoraita law, apparently this is the law that Moshe Rabbeinu taught the Jewish people. This apparently is the law that Moshe Rabbeinu received What is it that gives this law its credence? And here's a question. I'm going to open up I'm going to give you an opportunity to uh, to answer it. So I will allow you to raise your hands virtually and answer this question. What is it that gives this law credence? We said, There are two possibilities. Is it the fact that we have a pasuk that says, Or is it the fact that the Sanhedrin of the Jewish people uh, transmitted this law as they transmitted it as a Deoraita law. Do you understand my question? And I'm going to invite you to potentially um, answer this question if somebody wishes to answer it. And if you want to answer it, um, I would invite Sina to, if anybody is raising their hands virtually, you may call on them. If not, it's quite all right. I will answer the question. It's not the Pasuk. It is the, it is the Masoret of the Hachamim, of the Sanhedrin, that establishes the matter. I'll give you another example. The pasuk says, 
how do I know that I have to put on tefillin? I know I have to put on tefillin because we received the Kabbalah that I have to put on tefillin. And how do I know that refers to tefillin because we received the Masoret that that pasuk refers to tefillin, right? So you see that it is essential in the thinking of the Talmud and in the thinking of Fahmi uh, Andalus, right? That we have this Masoret, we have this Kabbalah and the ultimate authority, both as to what's the Olaita and what's not the Olaita. And whether a pasuk means something or doesn't mean something, both, on both ends, it is the Masoret that we receive from Moshe Rabbeinu that establishes, as a matter of law, the credibility of a particular position or of a, of a particular misvah or of a particular interpretation of the pasuk. Is this clear? Okay. This, so this is exactly what would have irked the Karaites, the power that the Hachamim had in determining... Uh... Uh, they're right, basically. Can you repeat your a point? I'm not sure I fully. Uh, this seems to be so. So, the power that the Hakamim had in determining the writer, this seems to be what irked or bothered the Karaites. Right. That that's an interesting point. Um, and <clears throat> certainly the Karaim would disagree that the text of the Torah is not the ultimate authority. Right. Um, so, and that's an important point. Now, having said that, having said that, the um, next question now is as follows. So if indeed the Pesukim from the Torah are not always the Oraita laws, right? Because we just saw that you can have, you can have a Kabbalah Moshe Sinai, which is in the Pasuk, such as for example, Tefillin, right? But the, the fact is the Pesukim are there. So I want to read to you, and this is really important, um, a, a couple, just a sentence in um, my father's uh, book, The Naked Crowd. Just give me a moment. I thought it was here, just, and I will bring it. So um, what I want to read to you, and this is an important point, what what is the purpose, uh, you know, or one of the purposes of the Torah Shebikhtav, right? I I say the purpose, I say a purpose of the Torah Shebikhtav. So I'm going to read to you on page 71 of the, um, page 71 of the uh, Naked Crowd. All right. And this has to do with, my father wrote a lot about alphabetic thinking. And um, how alphabetic thinking was a unique feature of Jewish epistemology. We always thought we always thought in terms of words, in terms of language, and we always um, not only thought in terms of words, in terms of language. But and I'm going to read to you now what he says: um, the publication of the alphabet is functionally linked to the simultaneous publication of a book to be read with it. This is really interesting. He says that the Jewish people, um, a little before this, he says, we're the only ones who not only nationally published our books, the, 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 the Tanakh, the Torah Shebikhtav. So the Torah Shebikhtav are those books which were nationally published and written down. And the and the writing, the text, the written text of the Torah Shebikhtav 
are national texts which were formerly published in the archives of the Jewish people. They were, they were placed in the Beit HaMikdash. But we also published the Aleph Bet, right? So the letters of the Hebrew alphabet themselves were published as the national letters of the Jewish people. So I'm just skipping a little. Um, and he says, once speech is reduced to writing, it loses its magical power. That is voice, intonation, staging, right? And, and politicians do this all the time. I mean, the intelligent politicians, yeah, there's some, there's some, I mean, you know, most politicians today are not particularly inspiring, but you have some who are, who are great speakers. Well, today I, um, I, yeah, maybe I'm just not listening to the news enough. I can't think of any inspiring politicians today, honestly. But, but let's say, in the, you know, it's certainly over the course of uh, human history, there were many great, great speakers, right? Um, uh, now, when, one of the things about a great speaker is not just the content of his speech, the words, but the way he says it, right? And a great speaker, Martin Luther King, he was a great speaker. He had a certain rhythm. He had a certain intonation, right? It almost had a, a magical quality to it, right? So that's what speech can do. We, we don't like that. You know, we, we like the words to sort of speak, speak for themselves, right? So by committing words to a written text, right? We take away this potential manipulation of the masses through rhythm, right? Through, through intonation, through raising the voice, right? Through the, through the theatrics of a great speaker, right? Right. So written texts are really important in Jewish thinking. The publication of a national book creates a contextual point of reference. Wow. That's what I wanted to read in this year. What is the point of a national book? It creates a contextual point of reference. If we were now to have an argument about a particular subject, um, um, I, I, would, I would be careful even to say, for example, global warming. I like bringing that subject a lot. Um, you believe that um, we should reduce man-made emissions. You don't believe that we should reduce man-made emissions. Um, you believe that as a matter of science, man, man-made emissions affects the climate, or you don't believe that it affects the climate, and all the various questions. And if we reduce man-made emissions, well, how would that affect poverty in third world countries? And will people end up freezing to death or not? And as you can tell, I'm trying to be very careful not to let my own personal uh, views on the matter uh, be clear, because it's, it's not something I want to be clear. But nevertheless, we're going to have now this back and forth discussion. One of the problems in the Western world is they don't have a national text. So all discussions, right, all discussions are just reduced to I feel this way and you feel that way. And I feel very strongly this way. And you feel even more strongly that way. Right. But is there an ultimate frame of reference for truth? Is there an ultimate frame of reference that we say, here's what we all agree upon and here's where we all land? We are all founded upon this one land this one idea or a multiplicity of ideas and only the jewish people can say yes and the reason we can say yes is because we publish not just our alphabet but we published our national texts right and um it's 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 being pointed out here in the text well the u.s constitution is a national text and yet, and, and I agree, by the way, I, I, I think that's a valid point. 
And yet, there is no obligation for every American. There is no law that says, you must read the Constitution every day, every night. You must read the Kiryat Shema, which is a summary of the Torah, or a summary of the Constitution every day, every night. You should be fluent in the words of the Constitution so that you can quote it and it becomes part of your linguistic apparatus right? It doesn't exist. So the U.S. Constitution is, is I think, by the way, one of the greatest um, um, documents of freedom in the Western world. I, I do. I, I believe that. Um, I think it's great. But they don't have that. They don't have the covenant between the people and the book. Only the Jewish people have that special relationship where we're completely immersed in the book, right? Um, as, the, as the great uh, rabbi um, uh, uh, Sachs, Allah uh, Shalom said, and you you probably heard this. We're the only people who dance with our national books on uh, on Simchat Torah, right? I thought that was a beautiful idea. Um, so, so what's the point? The point is that we use the Torah Shabbichtav as a source of truth, right? So all dialogue revolves around the Torah Shabbichtav. If my kid, if my daughter isn't listening to her mommy. Right, my, 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 uh, her mommy. Um, her mommy said, "Wake up early. Wake up on time, or you're going to be late to school." And so I can quote, "Shema beni musar abicha ve'alti tosh Torah timecha." Right? It's a, it's a, it's a pasuk. Right? We're always quoting pasukim to our children. We're always quoting pasukim. So if I have now a discussion with you about um, matters, I'll bring the pasukim in the Torah. How does the Torah view it? And we were trying to analyze the pesukim in the Torah and generate meaning for the pesukim in the Torah. So you see how the Torah unifies Am Yisrael and is the ultimate foundation for all discussion, right? And this is exactly what the Gemara does. When, for example, when the Gemara here says, Shalosham min alam, um, how do I know that from the, well, the standard explanation would be, how do I know from the Torah that you need three, um, three Dayanim? Well, what do you mean by that question? Do you mean that as a matter of the Oraitalo, you need three Dayanim? Well, you don't need three Dayanim as a matter of the Oraitalo, because everybody agrees that if Dayan Yechidi Dan, the deen is valid. So what do you mean when you say Shalosham and This happens so many times where the, where the Gemara is discussing a rabbinic law, an explicitly rabbinic law, and it's bringing Pesukim from the Torah, you know, as the foundation from the discussion. And the answer is, that's exactly the point. The context for discussions among the Jewish people regarding all matters always revolved around the Pesukim and the Torah. So the sugya that we are about to read in the 30 minutes that we have left um, is a sugya that has to do with, um, and, and don't, don't take this the wrong way, so let me finish my sentence. It has to do with Jewish rhetoric. It doesn't mean it's not important, not, not at all. It's, it's actually very important. We, we took the Chachamim took the analysis of the Pesukim in the Torah, or the Pesukim in the Torah, very seriously, right? It wasn't a free-for-all. You couldn't say whatever you wanted to say, right? So they took it very seriously. So rhetoric in Jewish people um, was considered very serious matter. So this sugya has to deal exclusively with rhetoric. How do we learn a particular ideas from the Pesukim in the Torah, right? Um, but because it's rhetoric, um, it has nothing to do with Jewish law. Right. If you open up the reef, he completely skips the sugya. Why does he skip the sugya? He skips the sugya because it has nothing to do with Jewish law. It has to do with rhetoric, which is important. And one of the functions of the Talmud was to teach us how the Hachamim studied the Pesukim, 
debated the Pesukim and learned from the Pesukim. But it's not that they learned this particular law from the Pesukim. We already said it previously in the previous sugya. Mishum Yosef the Hakamim established that we have to have a minimum of three uh, Dayanim, right? Having established three Dayanim, show me in the Torah, where do you know Shema Beni Musar Avicha Ve'alti Tosh Torah Timecha, show me in the Torah, bring, bring me the Pesukim, and that's what the sugya does, okay? So um, with your permission, unless there's some questions, I am now going to... Um, I am now going to um, read to you the Gemara. I will share with you the screen um, so that you can see the Surah Tadishma Teta. Give me a moment to find the, here it is, map of Sugya number three. So let's see, here we go. All right. So let me begin. Um, here it is. Okay, I'm first going to just give you a quick uh, rundown of the sugya. This is sugya number three in Masechet Sanhedrin. Um, the purpose of the sugya is That's the purpose, namely, um, from where in the Torah do we see the idea of three dayanim? And it's not a Doraitalo. Remember that. Okay, so part one, there's part two, and there is part three. So it's a triple, um, it's a triple sugya. All right. Continuing. Um, part one has two main parts. It's actually composed of the Mechilta. The Mechilta expresses the opinion of Rabbi Yoshia, and it expresses the opinion of Rabbi Yonatan. That's part one. Part two um, also has two main parts, yes. Um, the first part explains um, why there was a divergence in opinion, and it tries to predicate that divergence of opinion based upon a principle called Orashim Tehillot. That's part, you know, part A of part two. And then uh, part B of part two tries to predicate the divergence um, based upon another principle, Betin Nota. And then finally, we have the third part of the Sugyadol. The third part of the Sugyad deals with the particular law uh, requiring an odd-numbered uh, court, meaning um, the number of Dayanim in the court is odd-numbered. Um, here we have the opinion of Rabbi Yudha versus Rabbi Yoshia in part A, and certain questions and refinements in part B. That's, that's the that's the sugya. It's right there. And I am now going to begin um, reading for you the sugya. So, Shelosha Menalan, where in the Torah, where in the Peskim and the Torah, just give me one moment, I'm sorry about this. Let's make a little adjustment here. Oh, okay, somebody, one of the students just sent me a message, I want to see. Ah, okay, got it. That was irrelevant, sorry. I apologize for that interruption. Uh, okay, I thought he was sending me a private question that he wanted me to ask in the class. All right, Shalosha Menalan. So uh, again, I explained it. Um, and then we read the various parts of Ilkhot Mamrim and uh, this. So the answer to the question is going to be recorded in Mechilta Derbi Ishmael. There are um, various collections of Midrash Halakha. As you know, of course, there's Sifra Deverav. Sifra Deverav is a collection of Midrash Halakha, the Pesukim and Vayikra. There's a Sifra Derbi Shimon on um, the book of Devarim. Um, and on the book of Shemot, for example, we have the Mechilta of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. 
we have the Mechitav Rabbi Ishmael. So this particular um, passage, it's a Tanura Banan. Tanura Banan is a particular meaning, which I'll explain perhaps in a future class. Um, but it's a Baraita that's been um, established as accurate by the various Yeshivot. So that's Tanura Banan. And it brings a Mechitav. And this Mechita records a dispute between Rabbi Yonatan and Rabbi Yoshia. Um, a, a important point about Rabbi Yoshia and Rabbi um, Yonatan, they were both Tamidim of Rabbi Ishmael, they were both Tanaim from the fourth generation. Um, uh, they lived in Israel during uh, difficult times. Uh, the Midra, actually, the Sifre, the Sifre in Perashat um, Re'es says that they finally took it upon themselves to leave Israel and they reached a particular city to the north. And as they were looking back at Israel, um, they began to cry and say, how can we leave the land of Israel? And they, 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 they changed their minds and they went back. So that was Rabbi Yonatan and Rabbi Ishmael. Rabbi Yonatan and Rabbi Ishmael were both colleagues. They were both Tamidim of Rabbi Ishmael. And you often see that they are brought, Rabbi Yonatan and Rabbi Yoshia, they're brought together disputing not a law, but how you learn the law from particular pasuk. So this is very common. In the Mechilta, you see the Salat. Uh, obviously, in the Mechilta of Rabbi Ishmael, you see it a lot because they were both students of Rabbi Ishmael, right? Uh, so you see this a lot, that they're both um, uh, disputing. How do we learn? R- rhetorical disputes. Okay. So here it is. Detanur Abbanan. Detanur Abbanan is saying that we have established that this is an accurate, valid Baraita, and therefore we can quote it in the context of the suyat, the Tanura Balan. Venikrav ba'al ha'bayit el ha'elohim harikan echad. Ad ha'elohim yabo debar shenehem harikan shenayim. Asher el shi'un elohim harikan shelosha divrer biyoshia. So the first half of the Baraita ex- uh, expresses the opinion of Rabbi Yoshia, where in the same uh, section in the Torah, um, you have the word Elohim appearing three times. Um, the word Elohim, of course, in this case means the judges, the judge, right? So that refers to the first judge. Ada Elohim refers to the second judge. Asher Yashun Elohim refers to the three judges. So the idea being that since the word Elohim appears three times, we didn't, we could have just mentioned it once, you know, to mention it three times. So this is a hint um, it's not. It's obviously, and and you you understand this is not literal, right? It's uh, it's important to point out this is a hint that would suggest that you require three judges in financial matters, such as the matter that is um, being discussed in the pesukim. So that that's the opinion of Rabbi Yoshia. It's very straightforward. Rabbi Yonatan has a slight twist on this. Rabbi Yonatan Rabbi Yonatan says, no, the first, that's, that's and we have a principle, I'll explain that in a moment, and therefore, we cannot use the first Elohim, we are therefore left with only two Elohims. So how many Elohims do we have? Two. And there is a principle, and the principle is you cannot have an even number of judges sitting in a court. And since you can have, a, have an even number of judges sitting in a court, we have the two Elohims which are mentioned in the Pesukim, right? 
And then we know that you have to have a third, right? That's the end of the Baraita. That's the end of the Mechilita. Um, from this point on, the Gemara is now going to be discussing this Mechilita. But first, just a point I want to explain. Endoreshin Tahilot. Um, so let me explain. So you have the text. And as I said, the text of the Torah can be used as a, a focal point to discuss matters. And through the art of Derasha, of which the Hachamim were experts, we can generate new meanings in the text, right? The new meanings that we generate in the text, right? The Derashot that we generate in the text are not part of the text, right? right? So we have the Derashot and then we have the text. Now, when you want to establish a particular rule from the text, right? It is always because there is a particular discrepancy in the text and that discrepancy leads us to a certain um, nuanced thinking about a particular matter. So in this case, the nuanced thinking about the particular matter, the discrepancy is, why does it say the word Elohim three times? And, 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 and that opens up that nuanced thinking. Well, let's see, we have the law of three judges, and here we have three judges in the Pesukim. Elohim, 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 three judges. Very nice. So, But that's fine to the extent that there is that discrepancy in the text. If there's no discrepancy, then no, you cannot um, <laughs> reach that conclusion. And the problem is the first Elohim is necessary. The Elohim is there to teach us that we need to adjudicate the matter in the presence of a judge. There's, there's nothing um, unusual about that. There's nothing in that pasuk that would somehow lead us to conclude that, um, there, or, or rather that raises an issue. It's a very simple, straightforward pasuk. So you can't take a simple, straightforward pasuk and say, well, okay, I'm going to use it for a derasha. No, you can't do that. But rather, it's always going to be a particular discrepancy in the pesukim or between the words that would generate the derasha. And, and, and that's exactly the principle of endorashim techilot. The principle of endorashim techilot means that if I am going to now count the number of times a particular word appears for the purposes of reaching a particular law related to that number, I can't count the first word because the first word is necessary for the pasuk, right? That's endorishim tahilot. There's a machlokat on this, right? Um, but the point is, Rabbi Yonatan certainly is of the opinion that endorishim tahilot. So since I need the word, um, to teach us that this matter should be adjudicated by a judge. I can't take that word Elohim and count it towards the three judges. That's the idea. And this has to do again, how do you analyze a text from a derasha perspective, right? So people like to make derashot, and this gives you a clue as to how to make a derasha, right? So if you're going to make a derasha, there has to be something in the text. Maybe there's an extra letter in the word, right? Maybe there's a letter missing in the word. Maybe um, there's a word that's repetitious, right? So you, you understand the way the hachamim analyze text and the way the hachamim try to generate meaning from text. So that's going to be on the top. So therefore, he can't, um, he can't learn it directly from the text, but he needs to um, um, utilize the uh, principle of enbeti um, and shakul. That's part one. So part one is the opinion of Rabbi Yoshia, um, opinion of Rabbi Yonatan, 
And now we're going to look at the divergence between the Biyoshiyah and the Biyonatan, because remember, this is a purely rhetorical divergence. Both the Biyonatan and the Biyoshiyah agree that you need three Dayanim. The question is, how do you generate this meaning from the Pesukim? So let's read now. Apparently, it would seem that the basis for the dispute between the Biyoshiyah and the Biyonatan is whether Doreshin Tehillot or not Doreshin Tehillot. Who says you count the first Elohim? Let's say and Rabbi Yonatan, who exclusively says is, is his opinion is clear. Is that the basis for the divergence between these Tuchachamim? Uh, Actually, it was the opinion of both Hachamim that in Doreshin Techilot. Okay, now um, I speculate, I don't know for sure, but I speculate that because these Hakamim were both from the Bet Midrash of Rabbi Ishmael and Rabbi Ishmael and because Rabbi Ishmael had a very clear cut um, methodology for making Derashot on the Pesukim of the Torah, I speculate that in the Bet Midrash of Rabbi Ishmael. They reached the conclusion because there's no reason to assume that the Bionatan is of that opinion. The only reason to assume that the Bionatan is of that opinion is based on the fact that he is from the Bet Midrash of Rabbi Ishmael. And on that point, there was unanimity. So that cannot be the basis for the divergence of opinion or divergence of uh, interpretation between um, um, Rabbi Oshia and Rabbi Yonatan. That's not the basis. Continuing. And as far as Rabbi Yoshia, who did count the first Elohim, he would say there is a discrepancy in the Pasuk. Right? The idea of is there is no discrepancy, and if there's no discrepancy, then there's nothing to be learned. There is a discrepancy. It could have said, right? Um, if it would have said, El HaShofet, um, the idea would have been just as clear. What does it have to say, Elohim? Elohim is a particular word, which, which of course means the judges. It also can mean the political leaders. Um, so the fact that it uses the word Elohim, it, 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 it's, that itself is a discrepancy. That itself, meaning Elohim versus Shofet, that's where the discrepancy lies. And that's what gives me, Rabbi Yoshia, the authority to count the word Elohim, the first Elohim, and then add the other two Elohim. So Shema Minyana. And therefore, I can reach a conclusion that it comes to teach me the law of three Dayanim. Um, uh, this is not a discrepancy. There's, no, there's nothing unusual about using the word Elohim, which means judge, to, um, to describe the idea of judge, right? Uh, and he actually brings a very nice... Um, he brings a very nice contemporary saying, and the contemporary saying is important. I'm going to explain in a moment why. But for now, the Rabbi Yonatan says that, um, I'm sorry, rather, Rabbi Yonatan, not that Rabbi Yonatan says, but when the Rabbi Yonatan said not to count the first Elohim, because he would say the word Elohim is not discrepant or rather, it's not odd. There's no oddity to the word Elohim because Kid Amre in there is a saying among the people, 
man de'it ledina likrab legabe dayana. If somebody has um, a financial dispute that needs to be adjudicated, he should go to real judges legabe dayana. Because back then, sometimes people would want to go to arbitration, non-judges, non-experts, and that always led to um, to problems and issues. So again, Monday eat ledina. Somebody, uh, so the saying goes: If somebody has a, a financial dispute with his friend, go to a judge. Don't go to a regular person. Go adjudicate it in front of a judge. And the point of Rabbi Yonatan is saying that the reason the pasuk says Elohim and not Shofet is to emphasize: go to a real judge with authority. The word Elohim implies authority. It implies knowledge, right? Go to that. And therefore, again, the point being that the word Elohim. There's nothing odd about the use of the word Elohim, um, and it cannot be used, therefore, um, it cannot be used for the counting of three. So, so here we see that, um, to summarize where we're at now, we proposed that the dispute between Rabbi Yonatan and Rabbi Yoshia was predicated upon a potential dispute regarding endorsing Tachilot, and the answer is no. There is no dispute on endorashin techilot. Everybody agrees that endorashin techilot, and therefore now we have to perhaps find another reason for the dispute between Rabbi Yoshia and Rabbi Yonatan. And here it is. Rabbi Yoshia let lebetinote. Rav, can, can you scroll down? I think we're. You know. Is this it? You see Rabbi Yoshia let lebetinote. Is that is that is that visible? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm. My apology. I, I, I'm I'm looking at the wrong screen. Screen. Um, okay. Uh, my mistake. I was I following it inside, but I realized it's on the screen. It's my <laughs> Next time, feel free to interrupt me in the middle. Um, I was I was looking at one screen and showing you another screen. No problem. Um, okay. So we're up to here. You see, where the Bioshia let lebetinote is that visible now? Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. Thank you for uh, letting me know. So Verbioshia let Lebetinote. So the, the this this is the second proposal, namely that according to the Bioshia, um, there is no principle that requires you to have an odd number of Dayanim. Okay. So according to Rabbiunatan, who says there is a principle that requires you to have an odd number of Dayanim, well, you can understand why you have two Elohims. And then you can learn the third one based upon the principle that you're, you're supposed to have an odd number of Dayanim. On the other hand, Rabbi Yoshia, who doesn't have that principle, needs the third Elohim to teach us the law of three Dayanim, right? He can't learn it from the principle of Betinoteh. So Rabbi Yoshia let the Betinoteh. So again, because Rabbi Yoshia doesn't have the law that says you must have odd number of Dayanim, he needs to learn it from the first Elohim. And that's why it is a bit of a stretch. Admittedly, that's, that's the stretch. And that's the, that's the point of dispute. The point of dispute is exactly here. Um, and so let's continue. Where's that principle from, though? Is it just that they, one of them had the tradition, the other one didn't have the tradition? Ah, so we're going to see it right now. That's a very good question. Who asked that? Avi. Very nice. So here's, here's going to be the Baraita, right? Vehatanya, and here's the Baraita. Interesting now, it's who was a different yeshiva and a different, um, they had different kelalim of derashot. Very interesting. Almost like Rabbi Ishmael, and here we have a different um, approach. Nevertheless, he says, 
מה תלמוד לומר, לנטות אחרי רבים להטות. I just want to point out something, and I know we're a little uh, short on time, but it's, it's okay. Um, um, let, me, let me open for you the Pasuk and the, and the Humat. You, you need to see the Pasuk, because otherwise you really can't appreciate what's taking place in the Derasha. So give me a moment, please. Um, here we go. I'm going to open up the Pasuk in Nechom Namre. Okay. That's the way to find something. All right. Here we go. Ivrit, Tanakh. Um, all right, where is it? I think it's Parashat Mishpatim, right? No, yeah. All right. Okay. Um, Lintot. All right, so the Pasuk says, We still see the Sugiya map. So we see. Yes. And I am now going to stop the share and share the Pasuk. Thank you. Here it is. This Pasuk, of course, is in Parashat Mishpatim. It's Perek Kaf Bet. And what's important, what's missing here is the Ta'amim. So it's Perek Kaf, I'm sorry, Perek Kaf Gimel, my mistake. Perek Kaf Gimel Pasuk Bet. I'm going to open up the Pasuk. You see the Pasuk in front of you. Um, right. Velo Ta'ane Al-Riv Lintot Ahare Rabbim Lehatot Okay, so it says, I'm going to read the Pasuk again. Lo Tihiyeh Ahare Rabbim Lehatot That's the first half of the Pasuk. Velo Ta'ane Al-Riv Lintot Ahare Rabbim Lehatot The oddity in the Pasuk is Lintot Ahare Rabbim Lehatot The Lintot seems to be part of Ahare Rabim Lehatot, right? Now, obviously, if you have the Ta'amim, Lintot, Lintot actually belongs to the previous clause. Lintot. But the Derasha and Derashot, and this is important, and this is why I want you to see that. Um, I would have preferred that you saw it with the, um, with the Ta'amim, but okay, nevertheless. But the Derasha ignores the Ta'amim. You notice that, right? Right, it connects lintot with ahadir abim lehatot, and by connect, connecting lintot with ahadir abim lehatot, you create this discrepancy because lintot and lehatot are the same word. I mean, the same uh, different conjugations of the same uh, of the same root, right? Um, so, what does it say lintot ahadir abim lehatot? You could have said ahadir abim lehatot, but it says lintot at the beginning and it says lintot at the end. That's the question that we are dealing with. And now I'm going to go back to sharing with you the screen of the, um, the screen of the sugya. Okay. Um, okay, here we go. Okay. So, lintot, now you understand, now you understand the derasha. Okay, you see the, the, you see the point of the derasha? Lintot, aharer abim lehatot. So, Torah amra, ase lecha betinote. So the additional word lintot, I know what it means. means I count the number of the anim at the end and the majority rules. Lintot means something more. 
It means when you establish the Bet Din in the first place, the Bet Din should be established in an imbalanced way, meaning an odd number of people. So Lintot means make sure to constitute a Bet Din that itself is imbalanced in the number of the Anim so that there always is going to be a possibility of meaning the way to read the Pasuk according to the Darasha is Lintot, right? Be a, um, um, establish an imbalanced number of Dayanim in the court so that so that you can have the possibility of because otherwise if you have a 50 if you have um, you know an even number you can have the possibility of no rabim you can have a possibility of 50 50 right so you see the subtlety of the derasha it's, it's actually quite uh, i think it's quite beautiful um so from here we see the idea that one should establish an odd number of dayanim in um, the the court right and that's a beraita of Rabbi So, um, what would be the basis for the biyoshia to um, say no? Um, we don't have to have betinote, right? It, it's it's a valid question. So, savalaka Rabbi because there's another tanar Rabbi Yehuda the Amar who says as follows shivaim. Um, so it's about like the Bila Damar, Shivim did none. No, Shivim did none. Sanadiga Latasha Shivim, the Bila Med Shivim. Okay. He is of, I'm going to read that again, Mechila. Savalak the Biuda, the Amar Shivim did none. Sanadiga Lola, Hayatasha Shivim, the Bila Med Shivim. Okay. Rabbi Yoshia's opinion that you don't have this overarching principle of odd number uh, judges in court is following another Tana, namely the Yehuda. Because Rabbi Yehuda, there's a Mishnah in the first chapter of Masechet Sanhedrin, which says that um, the, Sanhed- the Supreme Court of Israel has 71 Dayanim. Rabbi Yehuda says, no, it has 70 Dayanim. 70 is not an odd number, is it? Right? So here we see that according to the Yehuda, you don't need to have uh, lintot, right? So the opinion of Rabbi Le'ezin, Benosha Rabbi Yosei was not accepted by all. It wasn't accepted by, apparently wasn't accepted by Rabbi Yehuda. Uh, so Rabbi Yoshia similarly rejected the idea of lintot as an overarching principle. Okay, three minutes left. Let's see what we can do in three minutes. <laughs> um, okay. Let's go. All right. Um, so, so okay. So to summarize, so to summarize where we're at, I just want to give you like the, so we, we, we brought the Mechilta, we brought the two Derashot, the Derashot of Rabbi Yonatan is actually quite clear, and we know how he learns Sweet Dayanim, the Derashot of Rabbi Yoshia is a little more subtle, he says we need three Elohims, the reason you need three is because he doesn't have the principle of Lintot. How can he not have the principle of Lintot? He doesn't have the principle of Lintot because he follows it to be Yehuda. It wasn't a universally acknowledged principle. Okay, that's where we're at. That's, that's the end of part two. So by the end of part two, we understand the two perspectives, Rabbi Yonatan and Rabbi Yoshia. Okay, that's it. Third part of the sugya deals with the idea of Lintot. It goes more deeply into this law um, to what extent does Rabbi Yehuda reject it, right? 
does it be Yoshia fully rejected himself? So that's going to be the third part of the sugya. I know that we're, near, we're really not going to have time to finish this third part of the sugya because I see that there's only two minutes left. So maybe uh, it would be best to um, take some questions if there are any questions in the remaining time. Simon had his hand up. Go ahead, Simon. I don't understand why the Gemara needs to assume that Rabbi Yoshua doesn't have the principle that there's not an even number baked in. His Joshua doesn't need it, but that doesn't mean that he necessarily wouldn't invoke it if his Joshua came out to an even number. Right, right. At first, that's a good question. I think it's a fair question. Um, it, it's clear that Rabbi Yoshua is, is, is stretching things, meaning there is a principle that he agrees with, and and as a rhetorical matter, it, w- it would have been far more eloquent to say, which he agrees with. He didn't. There must be some reason why he rejected that particular avenue or that particular approach. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we, we, you know, the Gemara connects that correctly, as we see, as we're going to see later. It connects that with another opinion of the Yoshia regarding, and that's what we're going to see in part three, meaning in part three, we go a little more deeply into the Biyoshiyah's opinion on the matter of Lintot. We'll see, that, you know, we'll, we'll see that more clearly, but it connects it with his opinion on Lintot, which is he doesn't have this limud of the Biyoshiyah Galili, right? He doesn't have that limud of the Biyoshiyah Galili, Lintot, that there is an overarching principle that a Beddi needs to have an odd number of people. Any other questions? Can you elaborate on that last point that you just mentioned that he didn't have that that principle? What does that mean in practice? It means that he was not taught it, or what, what does it mean when you say he didn't have that principle or that that limud? Right. So that's a, that's a very good question. So you know, uh, for example, we have the Rabbi Yehuda. So Rabbi Yehuda says you need seventy dayanim. Right? Um, now, for the view, that says you need 70 Dayanim, for example. You don't have an odd number of, uh, you don't have an odd number of Dayanim in all, in all cases. So he, he rejects the idea of Lintot. Don't forget, the idea of Lintot is a rabbinic. It's a midibret sofrim, meaning it's not explicit in the Pasuk, but rather there is this concept brought by the Biosia Galili who says you should always have an odd number of Dayanim. And he learns it from the word lintot. Again, the peshat of the pasuk was lintot, uh, right? Lintot, right? Lintot. Lintot really belongs to the first one, but his derasha is a way of supporting his thesis, which is you shouldn't have it on the word any. But you see that that wasn't accepted as an overarching principle by all, right? right? That's that's precisely the point, and that's one of the things that we're going to do in the third part of the sugya. Um, if we do it, um, I mean, in the next uh, you know series. Okay, gentlemen, I think maybe we... we have to extend the series to another class in the next few weeks if you have time. Okay. Can I maybe ask very quickly on this? Um, yes. So if, if the Tana Rav Yehuda holds Shivim is in, where, what does he need any asmachta or anything for this? Is it a svara? Why does Rav Yehuda say 70 is enough? Um, because he just believes there's no necessity for an odd number. Uh, or does he need more than this? Uh, Tana, where does he take the authority to? to, to uh, make a klalim. Right. First of all, that's an excellent question. How does it work? Yeah. Uh, first of all, that's an excellent question. And, and 
and there's a lot of I mean the the real question well, you know, I think I think the real question would be for example is the law of 71 dayanim is it the oraita or the rabbanan that that's a real question right yes so what does it mean when the biuda says it's only 70 dayanim what, what does that mean is he saying that you only have 70 day I mean well how would that work because we okay so I'm I'm kind of like I'm <laughs> Right, it has it has to be studied properly. It has to be studied in the. I'm not I'm not trying to. It's it's a really good question. Avalo al regel ahat, as 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 Hillel uh, told that uh, person who wanted uh, or Shammai rather uh, told him, uh, you know, lo al regel ahat. So Shammai hit him, and Hillel told him uh, that. Um, so the ahavta that was Hillel's answer, and then the rest uh, go and study. So, but, but anyway, I, 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 I want to address the question properly. So for now, I'm going to say, say kamocha, <laughs> and uh, the rest will be uh, for a future class. Fantastic. Thanks. Thank you so much, Hakam. I really appreciate it. Uh, first and foremost, wishing you better. Um, glad to hear you're, 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 you're coping with it. But please, God, um, you'll recover ASAP. And looking forward to either an extension of the series, given the fact that we have to go through the other part of the Sukhya, uh, or the next series. But regardless, we'll be in touch. And again, thank you so much for everything. You've enriched us, enlightened us, and uh, addicted us, made us addicted to studying according to our cherished Geonik Safaradi HaKamim. So thank you very much. All the best. Call to. Take care. Bye-bye.